Welcome to the All of Christ for All of Life podcast, where we equip men and women to be faithful in every aspect of life. This week, you will hear Nancy Wilson's talk, Sabbath Legacy, from our audio collection titled Table Grace. Hi, ladies, and thank you for coming. Thanks so much for being here. It's sort of like a family reunion, isn't it? Seeing so many familiar faces, and I've enjoyed seeing you all connecting at lunch or during the breaks, and so what a blessing for you all to be here with us. I have a prop you can see I brought, and I don't know if you can read it. I hung it here. It says, Nana's Kitchen, Kids Eat Free. And a friend of mine bought that for me quite a few years ago, and it's been hanging in my kitchen for a long time, and I had it a little too... I think it was a little too low for a while, and the kids didn't see the E and eat, and they thought it was an F. And kids fat free. (laughs) So I lifted that up because they are not fat free, that's for sure. (laughs) All right, so I am going to be speaking about a Sabbath legacy. That's the name of this talk. So, so much to say here, and I'm hoping you will all feel encouraged. You're not all grandmothers by a long shot, but um, some of you are new mothers. Some of you are unmarried. Some of you, you know, you come from all different directions. So I'm hoping there's something for each of you here, even though I'm going to talk a lot about grandchildren. But I want you to realize that there's principles that you can apply even if you don't have grandchildren yet. And I say yet because you never know. And I think for some of you, you may not ever have grandchildren, but you may be that woman in your congregation who can be sort of a stand-in grandma or aunt to some of the little kids in that congregation and just become friends with them. You know, there's always room, always room for that. So at any rate, as I, so as I begin, I just want to make that clear that even if I'm speaking directly to grandmas, You're all invited to participate in this. First, I just want to mention before I launch into what is a legacy and so forth, women tend to define themselves by what they do. I think we do this. We define ourselves by what we do. I'm a mom. I'm a wife. I'm a grandma. I'm a teacher. I'm a nurse by what we do. And we really shouldn't do that because things change. Things change. And then we think, well, who am I now? Um, Your kids grow up and leave your home. And you think, so now who am I? I, I'm a mom, but they're not here. So what do I, I, we sort of feel at sea and think we have to reinvent ourselves. It's not true. We have to define ourselves in Christ. We define ourselves in him, and then all the things we do are secondary. Okay, they're secondary. And so we offer them to him, say, yes, I'm a mother, because God's given me that calling. But first, I'm a woman in Christ. I'm a Christian. I'm born again. I serve the living God. That's who I am. And no matter what happens, circumstances change. Uh, your lives change. Uh, you're still a woman in Christ. That's who, that's our definition. That's who we are. So as I talk about things that we can do, just keep that 
in mind. All right, don't define yourself by what you do because you know what happens when we do that? We try to suck all of the our purpose for living out of those things we do or out of those people that we're serving. I want my grandchildren to just gather around and praise me, right? It's like, you know, they're not going to do that. <laughs> uh, so if we are looking to define ourselves by what we're doing, then we end up trying to find significance, fulfillment, purpose in things, in jobs, or in people. And these, these just weren't created to sustain that level of, of neediness that we have. We have to find our fulfillment in Christ. We have to find our satisfaction in him. We have to find our purpose and meaning for life in him and not making these people that we love fulfill all of our needs. So we're just going to drain them dry in no time at all. They're going to like move away because we're just too intense and we're just taking too much from them. I hope this makes sense to you. Christ has to meet our deepest needs. Husband can't do that. Children can't do that. Grandchildren can't do that. A job can't do that. Um, grades can't do that. Your bank account can't do that. Your retirement package can't do that. You know, none of those things can meet those deepest needs we have as women. Only Christ can. So it's the first thing is we have to get our eyes off of them to define us and really remember and keep our eyes on Christ, right? So as I go through and talk about things we can do, please keep that. In, in mind. That is not um, our central purpose. Okay, so all we do, everything we do, we offer unto him, and of course we want to glorify him in it. And he is the only one who can give us security. You know, our husbands can't always be there and can't always meet all of our needs and so forth. So Christ is it. So having said that, now I'm going to talk about a Sabbath Legacy. A legacy is something you're leaving behind. It's an inheritance you're passing on, right? And so I, we've called this a Sabbath legacy. And what it is we're trying to leave to our children and grandchildren as an inheritance. So first, before I turn to Sabbath, let's just talk about an inheritance. What kind of, do you have a will, for instance? It's a good thing to have. What are you leaving your children? What physical things are you leaving your children? Well, my parents and my grandparents, I have stuff from my great-grandparents. I have a four-poster bed that was my great-grandma's. She was a Cohen. Her father was a rabbi in Brooklyn, New York. And my, <laughs> my great-grandma ran off to Oklahoma and married a Gentile and got disinherited. <laughs> and uh, I barely, you know, I remember her at, when I was pretty young. I remember her, but I have her bed, and I, I love that. It's my great-grandma's bed. And I have her marble-top dresser. I love that. Um, what is it? Why do we like having these things that take us back? I have stuff. My dad traveled the world, and he brought home treasures. And I have a bunch of them. And... You know, I think right now, if I divided up everything, everybody would get something cool because it was my parents that were gathering up treasures. I haven't done that as well. But it's nice to have memories of our ancestors. It's great to have things to hand off to the kids. I love that. 
Heather has my grandma's wedding ring on her finger. There, there she is, holding it up. Um, my little granddaughter, Evangeline May, was named after a great-grandma that I never met. Um, you know, we just have these, don't we have memories and connections and stories that we pass on to our kids? And they're great. Some of them are pretty funny stories. And some might be sad stories. But it's just, we, we're, we realize we have stories and we have ancestors, and they were real people who were living their lives and had real struggles, and many of them had real faith. And when you know you've got some faithful people back there, you know, that's even a double blessing, isn't it? Faithfulness. So I'm praying now for my grandkids' grandkids, and I hope you are too. Not for mine, but praying for your own. <laughs> Feel free to pray for mine, but I think praying for your own will keep you busy. But I just think, why do I save this stuff? I do have some weird stuff, a few weird things that none of my children want. But I just feel this obligation to hang on to it because it was in my great-grandma's house. So for goodness sakes, we're going to save this thing, this atrocious thing, whatever it is. And maybe someday there will be someone that thinks, oh, I like that. I'll take it. Um, but I, you know, why don't I just have a yard sale? It would lighten my load. Right? I wouldn't have to be preserving all these things if I just had a yard sale and got rid of them all. Why do I feel such an obligation um, to hang on to stuff? Well, I think it's because these are symbols and links for us. They remind us of where we came from. My great-grandma that uh, ran off with a Gentile, he was divorced and twice her age and had children who were almost as old as she was. Okay, she was pretty young, and I think she must have been desperate, you know, really desperate, um, because she was cut off, and she married this older guy who didn't live that long. I mean, you know, but she's the mother of my grandma, who's the mother of my mom, so I'm very thankful for her. But um, that's an interesting story. I wish I had more of the details of that, but even that, my mom didn't know about for many, I think, till she was grown and married, didn't know that her grandpa had another family, you know, that's other people in the graveyard that were related somehow. Anyway, but anyway, I think it is because these symbols remind us of God's faithfulness to generations. They just remind us that we're connected, that it, we're not, you know, we can be easily tricked into thinking this is the only time that ever was and ever will be living right now. It's sort of like when you travel across the world and you go into a big city and you think, goodness, this is going on all the time. And when I wasn't even aware of it, you know, there are people in Hong Kong, for instance, right now, and we just get so focused on where we are. And so these kinds of things are just links to our past. And I don't think they were as important to me until I started to understand God's covenant to his people. And then all of a sudden these things made just meant more to me, and I wanted them to mean more to my kids. Symbols are always far less than the reality, right? The symbol is far less than the reality. And this is like the Lord's Supper. It's just bread and wine. It's just bread and wine. But on another level, when we see it by faith, it's, it's the body and blood of the Lord. So the symbol is um, 
pointing us to the reality, pointing us to something much bigger. And so if I have a grandfather clock, which I do, it points at God's covenant faithfulness. If I look at that by faith, like, isn't that God good? For some reason, he's passed this into my family to pass on. Do you see that? But it's by faith where I just say, Lord, I don't, I don't know if all those people back there were believers, but you in your faithfulness have drawn me to yourself and, and called me out, put me in this family in this time, and what a mercy. Some of you may be first-generation Christians and you feel really sort of cheated. Like, but you have parents or grandparents, you know, some of your friends may be generations of Christians in their background. And I just say, hey, somebody's got to start this. Maybe there were many generations of faithfulness, and then there was a break in the chain, but now you're here. So thank God for where you are and who you are and this time and this moment and where he's put you, and be, be the one that gets this thing started. Doug's parents were both first-generation Christians. My parents were converted um, when I was in college. You know, so God just picks us up and takes us far takes us a distance and we aren't prepared for all the blessings he has for us so don't feel somehow that you can't do some of these things you don't have treasures of your great grandmas like i do well that's okay so start making some quilts ladies you know for those descendants i do have i was going to say i do have a quilt my great another great grandma made she used to she was a christian woman she used to make quilts and keep them by the door. I think she had a special closet or room for when needy people came to the door. She could just show them in and they could take what they needed. Isn't that lovely? I have one of those little quilts, pretty ratty now, but it is a treasure, you know, and I'm going to preserve that thing. Okay, here are a few promises. God's word is so full of promises to our children and grandchildren, but let me read a few. Acts 2.30 for the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. The promise is to you and your children. Deuteronomy 7, 9. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. First Chronicles 16, 50. Be ye, my, 15, not 50. Be ye mindful always of his covenant, the word which he commanded to a thousand generations. Psalm 105, 8. He hath remembered his covenant forever, the word which he commanded to a thousand generations. We just have these promises. He's never going to forget his covenant. He's made it to us and to a thousand generations. Our little people and their little people and their little people and so forth. We want to believe this and Thank him for his covenant promises to us and claim them by faith and enjoy them. So the reason I care about handing things off like rings, and I could tell you stories. Oh, this little necklace, both my daughters wore at their wedding, was a great aunt. You know, just all these little things and china and quilts and crystal and my grandma's this and my mom's that and so forth. The reason I care about it is God's covenant. Like, look at God's faithfulness. Would you take this now and you take care of it? And then you can pass it on. Not because each thing is so valuable. It's just valuable to us because of whose it was. Some of it might be valuable, but I'm not going to auction it off unless the Lord really puts us in hard times. 
which he might, and then I would, of course. I mean, you know, we'll see. It's just stuff. It is just stuff. Don't want you to think I'm getting carried away here. But what else can I leave my children besides stuff? Okay? Um, there has to be more, right? So that's what I'm going to get to now. Of course, our prayers. I already mentioned that. Um, Praying for those little people you don't even know yet. Praying for their husbands and wives, for your own children's husbands and wives as they grow up. So our prayers are a legacy, absolutely. And we just need to be praying. Who else will do it if we aren't? Who else will pray? Now, um, for my grandkids, I know their parents are praying for them, but we are adding our prayers. We're just going to pray for them as well. And so we take that seriously, and I just urge you to do the same. Don't wait. Start praying for them now. The other thing we do, there's a lot of things we do, but this is one of the tangible things that, by God's mercy, and it's all it was, that Doug and I started doing. It was actually his instigation years ago now, before you were married, after you were married. So how long have you been married? 16 years, so probably 15 years ago, is when we started celebrating our Sabbath dinner on Saturday night. Now, you could do it Sunday morning, Sunday after church. I'm not here to say you must do this at a certain time. But I have a book, in fact, I'm going to plug in a minute, remind me if I forget. It's just called A Return to Sunday Dinner, and I'll hold it up and show you. There was a time in our, really, in our country where a Sunday dinner was just part of the weekly rhythm. Um, people went to church and they had Sunday dinner, and a lot of you still do that. And we hadn't really done that growing up, and we hadn't done that when we were first married. But we started doing that 15 years ago. And Doug, because he's a minister, he really thought he would enjoy it more Saturday night, as he calls it, the kickoff for the Lord's Day. So we would, 6 o'clock, roll around, and the kids come, and we have dinner. It's very, that's all. That's all it was. I know in the early, those early days, there were six of us, adults, at our table. You know, I could get out Grandma's China and Crystal and do that whole kind of thing. I kind of vaguely remember that. <laughs> do you vaguely remember that? And then Knox came, so we got a high chair. Beautiful little wooden high chair. <laughs> now we have a couple of broken Ikea <laughs> high chairs. <laughs> We've gone through a few high chairs. So we started doing this out of principle. Like Doug just thought, you know, we need to start celebrating the Lord's Day, making it a feast, a celebration. We are kicking it off. Let's do this thing. And neither of us had a clue what, or what this would lead to. And I tell grandmas all the time when I get a chance, don't start what you can't finish, right? So I'm in the midst of it, and I don't plan to stop. But I did not know what I was in for. I will tell you that. I love Heather saying, you know, she didn't come into this whole thing with this vast culinary experience. Well, nor did I. And I cook now on Saturdays for about 30 or 40 people every week. And you never could have told me I'd be doing that. Are you crazy? I would never know how to begin to do that. I still don't know how I do it. 
I, I really don't know. It just happens. I just take the recipe and I go times six. And then I just, <laughs> and I keep getting bigger pots. And I had to borrow Rachel's enormous pot. And I'll say, Doug, I need a bigger pot. You know, this is, I need a bigger stove. I need a bigger fridge. I need a bigger table. I need, yeah. So he keeps up with it. All right. So we started this little thing on Saturday night. And it was all very tidy. You know, six plates probably fit in the dishwasher very nicely. No problem. <laughs> and it has changed over the years. Knox, when he was big enough to stand up in the high chair, that toward the end of the meal, he'd stand up at it and he'd do this. He'd put his hands on his tummy and he'd rock back and forth. So we made up a song and we would just sing the tummy dance song every week. It's part of the liturgy. And then that faded when he moved on to other things. Um, but you've heard already today, I mean, you've heard the table is central in our lives. Even at that luncheon, we sit down around a piece of wood and we break bread together and we talk and we fellowship. And it's a wonderful thing that happens. And it's a great meeting place. And it's the most ordinary thing in the world to sit down and eat. And yet God can transform it into this sweetness that transforms lives and changes culture. And we think, this? Yep, this. Okay, now what does it cost? I think Rachel maybe mentioned this. Well, let me tell you, it costs something. I think we might have a big bank account if we weren't whooping it up every Saturday night. But I'm so grateful. What would I rather spend it on? You know, really, what would I rather spend it on? So what's it cost? Well, it does cost money. I mean, it does. It got so that I would have to buy a big piece of meat. Now I have to buy two big pieces of meat. I mean, it's, we're feeding a lot of people. Um, but you know what? It doesn't cost my grandkids anything. It's free. And I think that's the, that's the key. It cost us. It does cost us but it doesn't cost them. That four-poster bed that I have in my great-grandma's didn't cost me a nickel. It cost her something. Um, do you see this? We're handing off something. We're bestowing something. And it costs us something to give it. And that just that repeating that theme, freely you have received, freely give. How do you receive a gift? How do you receive it? Do you say, oh, let me pay for that? Where's my checkbook? I forgot it. Can I send it? You know, can I send you a check? How do you receive a gift? Your kids bring you flowers or you get a, a gift on your birthday. Or how do you receive it? Freely, right? Thank you very much. That's how we give that same way that we receive it. No strings, no expectations, no keeping accounts. I have spent this much on you so far. Okay. It's adding up, people. Um. I've saved all my receipts for every meal. I'm going to send you a bill. <laughs> no, it's free. Right? We are, we're bestowing ourselves. We're extending ourselves. So it costs. It takes a lot of time. Um, sometimes if I'm in the mood to do something sort of out of my, you know, you know, I'm a little more complicated, I can be literally in the kitchen all day Saturday, all day from morning until the thing is over and done. But I'm not up for that every week. I will die. So I sort of alternate. I alternate. And we go between the simple 
and the elegant, well, relatively elegant, for me, elegant. But anyway, it takes, it costs. It costs time, it costs money, but it's free for my kids. It's free for my grandkids. I do the planning. I, Rachel uh, and Becca and Heather, sometimes I'll call and say, I'm stumped. What am I going to do this week? You know, they'll, they'll walk me through. Oh, Mom, you'll be okay. You won't die. We'll get, the, we'll help. Um, I shop and I cook and I set and I serve and I help with cleanup and, you know, it all just happens. And then we do it again a few days later and we do it again and we do it again. The marvelous thing is my grandkids, all 16 of them, have spent, I mean, nearly, not every, but nearly every Saturday night of their lives at my table. Isn't that bizarre? And when the Merkels moved away to England for three years, I just thought, this is going to devastate me on Saturday night. I mean, this is just going to break my heart that they are not here because they'd always been there. They're the first comers. But we got over that. <laughs> I remember giving myself a little shake. Do you ever have to do that? Sometimes grab yourself by the scruff of the neck, you know, or whatever it takes and say, come on, come on, grow up here. Do I want them over there in England sobbing their eyes out every Saturday night? Of course not. Like, come on, let's just keep going here. Let's just keep going. And they're having their own Sabbath dinner and inviting people over. It was glorious. We got to be, we'd go visit, we'd sit down at their Sabbath table and it was amazing. And I loved it. And it was just, um, better than I could have imagined. All right. Here's a little encouragement for us. And I loved Rachel talking about the cleanup. And, and it's very true. Women ask me this, who does the dishes? Who? Tell me, who does the dishes? Nobody. We just leave them. Um, <laughs> we have a deck, and we just go throw the plates over the deck. <laughs> thought about it sometimes. Okay. Luke 22. I think someone's quoted this. I'm going to bring it up again. Jesus speaking, but not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? And yet I am among you as the one who serves, okay? Now, let you be as, just let him be as the younger. Who's the greatest? Well, you act like the youngest one in the room. The youngest one has the job of the cleanup, right, the kids? And Jesus said, look at me. Um, I came to serve. There's our model. I listened to a tape. I can't remember the name of them preacher now, this last summer. He's talking about that last supper. And he said, you know, when you go to someone's home during that time, in Jesus' time, you always wash their feet. It was just a common courtesy because they had sandals or walking on the dusty roads. It's just a common courtesy to wash the feet. And usually the youngest would have that job. And he was, this pastor was saying, you know, maybe John, was it John Mark? See the youngest? Anyway, he was picking on one of them. It's probably his job. John, the one the Lord loved, right? The young one. He said, but he was probably thinking, I'm not going to wash their feet. You know, I'm Jesus' favorite. I'm not going to do it. And you know, Peter, he wouldn't have done that. It's like, not me. So no one, not one of them had washed feet. So who does it? 
So Jesus has to get up and go around and wash their feet. And, you know, we miss so much of this because it's not something we're familiar with, but he's just demonstrating how low he'll go, even washing their feet. And they were all struggling over who is more important. Now, I confess that this Sabbath dinner business has been a very sanctifying thing for me. There are plenty of things I didn't know about myself, like wanting what Heather was saying, like, okay, everybody, a little applause would be nice right now, you know? <laughs> like, um, it is sanctifying to do this regularly and serve people and cook for them. But just as in Matthew 20, just as the Son of Man did not come to, come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. This is a very concrete way for me to serve. It, I mean, it's doing it. It's doing it. And it has been, become something so important to our family, I never anticipated this. All right, moving on here. Well, I kind of explained what we do. Everybody just comes to my house. My house isn't big enough for this. It is not big enough for this, but we do it anyway. And so don't wait until your house is big enough. I have a dream of this Sabbath hall that's always set up. <laughs> I'm not going to get that. I, I think it would ruin everything, probably. You know, it would become too easy, or I'm not sure, but I don't anticipate that happening. But when all these 16, I mean, grandkids then get big, I don't know. We'll just keep, we'll see what happens. Um, but as I was contemplating this talk, I, I actually hadn't thought of asking my grandkids what they thought of Sabbath dinner. But my oldest grandson wrote a composition for a school assignment, and he talked about Sabbath dinner. So I thought, this is perfect. I'm going to read it to you, what he says about it. And he had no idea. Don't tell him I read it. <laughs> but this just gives you a glimpse of Sabbath dinner at my house from his perspective. And he's the one that's been there the longest. He's a good writer, too. I don't know where he gets it. Okay. <laughs> the car pulls up to the large gray house at the top of the hill on a late November evening. I would like to comment. This is Knox, Becca's oldest. And Doug read this, and he said, he spelled gray like the Brits. He lived, you know, he lived there, so he's, he's excused. We leap out of the vehicle, eager for the evening to come. We rush up the stairs, dodge the rose branches overhanging the sidewalk, which is very true. They are always out of hand, but I don't come in that way, and I forget. So after reading this, I went and snipped those things <laughs> because they have to literally, like, push them away to get in and dash to the front door, just keeping our feet on the icy steps. I open the door and we are met with a blast of warmth, light, delicious aromas of baking rolls, mashed potatoes, roasting pork, and gravy, and sounds of conversation, cooking, and little children playing. This is the part where I could lose the bubble. <laughs> not gonna, not gonna. Tell a joke. That's what we do when we start to just get choked up. Tell another joke. Okay. Well, it's not my fault, because both of the girls got choked up reading it, too. So, <laughs> my, um, my grandparents and cousins are here. We, we step into paradise. 
I can't, that's as far as you need to hear. <laughs> but see what I mean? I didn't know that that's, I knew they liked it. In fact, when I decided to use that, he goes on to talk about his cousin Rory and they get together and so forth. But I thought, you know, I should ask some of the other little, smaller grandkids what they like about Sabbath. So I did a little interview and it's pretty funny. Um, Judah was spectacular, wasn't he, that guy? He's like, I love Sabbath dinner, he said. It's the only time I get to see my cousins. You know, so a lot of the kids, it was about the cousins. They love each other, and they just find each other, and they just play, and it's their weekly connection with the cousins. Um, a lot of them, it was a, the food wasn't the first thing, although Claire, uh, Blair and Marisol, both three years old, they weren't even in the same room when I asked them this question, but they both said, chicken. <laughs> so I think I need to work that into the menu. I haven't done chicken in a while. Um, but... They love that connection with the cousins. I confess, Titus, who is five, said, and you, Nana. Oh, and Doug said, the little schmoozer. That's a... <laughs> he knows. He knows already. Keep Nana on the radar there. But actually, I, what I'm going to say is their number one thing is the fellowship. The fellowship. I see all my cousins. They love sitting down at the table. My granddaughters are starting to rotate in to come help me with the setup, you know, and the Merkel girls being the oldest, they've been doing that now for some time and they know the drill and they can do it by themselves. They know where everything is. Um, Seamus mentioned Titus and Judah. Um, you know, they all have this sort of, they're all very positive. Now, I will tell you, Doug and I over the years have occasionally just said, hey guys, you know, if you ever want to just do this every month or we want to phase out or please, it's not, you're not obligated. Are you crazy, mom? You know, are you nuts? So we keep doing it. All right. Now, this is something that you can give your children and your grandchildren that money can't buy. You know, money can't buy this. Um, and I, like I said at the very beginning, some of you don't have grandkids or they live far away. So how are you supposed to do this? Okay. Well, we just started, there were six adults. It wasn't a big load of grandkids, but we just started doing it. This is the Lord's Day. We're going to kick it off with a celebration. We're going to toast him. You know, it was about the same time that we decided to start having a glass of wine. I remember being at the grocery store and thinking, what kind? I don't even know. But Doug thought, it's a feast. We need to have some wine at this party. And a friend of mine I bumped into knew a lot about wine, and so he made a suggestion. I mean, we just started trying different things, and we, but we wanted to toast. We wanted it to be celebratory. It's the Lord's Day. And now it's just part of the Lord's Day. And the girls have told me that their kid, for their kids, it's like, oh, Sabbath dinner, the Lord's Day. Oh, Sabbath dinner, worship. It's all connected. It's just part of the same sort of event every week. And that rhythm you just get into the rhythm. Now, occasionally we're out of town, and so um, the girls will host it at their homes. And they don't drop the ball and say, oh, mom's gone, can't do Sabbath, don't know how. I mean, they, they can, obviously, they can do this. And we don't want to, like, demand all their time. And you might be, uh, have a family and two sets of grandparents in the same town. Well, 
you know, I've seen a lot of creative ways this is handled. Rotating or the huge party with every wing of the family and all the relations. You know, there's just lots of ways to do this. We don't want to obligate our kids. You must be at Sabbath dinner. Um, Knox told me that whenever he mentions Sabbath dinner to somebody, they say, you go to your grandparents every week? Don't you get tired of it? He said, no, I don't get tired of it. But it just never occurred to me how that might sound. Like, yeah, every week? Doesn't that get old? It's like, no, actually, because of that fellowship. Now, I mentioned it's been, sanctif- it's been sanctifying for me. It cannot be about me. It cannot be about my table. It's so impressive. It can't be about my cooking because that's a surefire sign that everything will be horrible. You know, if I think I'm going to amaze everyone with my cooking, everything will be. Have you had that happen? Yeah, it's, I wonder why. <laughs> It has to be offered to the Lord. It has to be all the fellowship. You know, if we were all mad at each other, it wouldn't be any good sitting down at the table. It'd be awful. So short accounts, uh, staying in fellowship with each other, not letting grudges accumulate, um, not keeping track of who's helping and who isn't. I mean, all the rest of it. It just has to be let go of. So it's just been... If God, well, I know this. It's one of the reasons I'm doing this is this was God's plan for me to just really work me over good. And it's been a great thing for us and a huge, huge blessing. Don't think you'll do it later. If you're unmarried, just start having friends over. It's Sunday dinner. And now is the time for the book plug. This is called A Return to Sunday Dinner. And the thing I like about this, it's got some good recipes, but what I like even more are all the stories of people remembering Sunday dinner at Grandma's house and how it's such a, it was a part of our culture that disappeared. And so it's that bringing that back. And it's a place where the kids growing up can bring a friend. Can I bring so-and-so to Sunday dinner? Of course where maybe they're away at school and they come home, there's always Sunday dinner. You can bring people to Sunday dinner. It's just a something that they know will always happen, and it's a place where they can bring people. And there's always room for someone else. I mean, not always. Sometimes you got to, like, that's it, people. I can't fit anymore, you know, but not to turn them away at the door, but, you know. So this is a good one. Russell Cron- Cronkite. There's another one I use a lot I didn't bring called Perfect Recipes for Having People Over. It sounds very intimidating, but it has like group sloppy joe recipes and things. It's fantastic. And I do have to multiply. I, I need to multiply. So times six, I'm not joking. But um, just get, get yourself some helps. And don't feel like it has to be fancy pants. Last week was red plastic paper plates. And I don't remember what we ate. Something. (sighs) I don't know. But I knew what was coming. This week was coming. And so we were going to have a low-key Sabbath dinner. And that's what it was. And the kids, I know what it was. It was Mexican. And the girls all brought the side dishes. And I did enchiladas. And anyway, it doesn't have to be glamorous. Um, 
we do like to have plates. I like plates because we don't all fit at the table and we have to lap up and a plate works better than paper plate. You know, I, I, you're thinking, she mean like a paper bag or something? <laughs> plates are great. No, I mean real plates, real plates. But I have stocked up on things so that I can do this over the years and I didn't do it all at once. Now, I just would like to urge you I don't um, to look at your resources. You have four chairs? Okay, well then invite three people. Maybe you can borrow a folding chair and make it four people. You know, I mean, just look at your resources and start small. When we were first married, Doug was still in school, and then he went on to get a master's, and so I was finished with school. He'd been in the Navy, but he would invite his professors to dinner. I'd be so terrified. Feminist philosophy instructor coming to dinner. And, you know, he just got us right into it right away, and I'd feel intimidated, and yet these people, they're just people. We had um, his Latin instructor to dinner, and uh, Becca was little. And you know he is still in this town, and he still remembers coming to our house for dinner. And Becca was little. Doug had him as an instructor, and then I think Ben had him as an instructor at the University of Idaho, and he just retired a few years ago. But when he met Becca, he said, I came to your house for dinner when you were just little. So, but I wouldn't have invited those people. It's like, ah, I won't know what to say. Um, just... You know, it was just what we had. I have no idea. I think that was during the era when I covered a cardboard box with fabric for a side table. It's pretty swanky at our apartment. <laughs> it was the 70s, so, I mean, you could get away with that. Don't think, you know, I know, I know, I was talking to a friend about this earlier, that I'm intimidating. I don't think I'm intimidating, but I know some of you think I'm intimidating to you. Just like that philosophy instructor was intimidating to me. Like, ah, oh, we can't have her. And some of you might think that, oh, I could never have Nancy to dinner. Ah, oh, that'd be so intimidating. And I think it would. And yet now I understand. Like, I get it. I know. I know. And I remember being intimidated. And sometimes I still am intimidated by people we have at our table. So get over that. Not that you have to invite me to dinner. Um, <laughs> it's just people, people in your life. Oh, but that person has a big, beautiful home, and I don't. So get over it. Just have them anyway. Um, we had some college guys. We've had Doug and I have been invited to some college guys' apartments a few times for dinner, and it is such a surprise. Isn't that a surprise? And we've yet to be invited to a college girl's house for dinner because I think the girls are too intimidated. And the guys aren't. It's like, it's just Doug and Nancy. What's the big deal? <laughs> and some of them make homemade bread. And they, I mean, it's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. So it's just, I understand that you, maybe some of you, not all of you for sure, but some of you might feel intimidated by me. And I just say, I'm not scary, but I understand that feeling. I'm older, so forth. But just look at the people in your life and don't hesitate. Don't be stalled out because you think they could do it better or that they might be too hard on your silverware or something, you know, or think your house isn't good enough for them. It's not true at all. It's not true. Just go. I remember the, the uh, feminist philosophy instructor coming in 
and sort of rearranging my a chair, like kind of tucking the couch, the cushions in a little bit. And I thought, <laughs> whoops, I should have done that before she came. Ah. It's the littlest things. Okay, all I'm going to say is God will bless you as you extend yourself in hospitality, whatever that looks like for you. We started very small. God kept adding to our number. We do like to include other people besides just our family, but when your family adds up to 24, it starts getting sort of dicey. But we do. We include others. And it's the biggest blessing is for us. And sometimes the only time it is not a big blessing for me is if I have a bad attitude about something. That's the only thing that can spoil it, is if I'm tweaked about something or annoyed about something. You know, If I let the little fox in, it will ruin the vineyard. And so I've learned to just pray in the morning and pray in the afternoon and just keep it all surrendered to him, offering it to him. I want Jesus to be at our table and to enjoy himself and not feel, you know, he's, why would he come to my table if there's fussing in my heart and annoyance in my heart? So with all of our planning and cooking and feeding, it just still amounts to a couple fish and a loaf of bread. And he does all that multiplication in a wonderful way. It becomes like Knox saying it's paradise. I just can't believe it. But I think it is. For him, it is. And so all the more impetus to do it again and then do it again and do it again. You're never too small to start. Make a meal. Have the kids over and just sprinkle some candy down the middle of the table, and you're home free. And amen. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the All of Christ for All of Life podcast. That was a message from our audio collection titled Table Grace. If you'd like to hear the rest of the talks, you can purchase them at canonpress.com.